0: All right. It is good to be here this morning. I had a great time last weekend preaching at Spring Hills, and I, on Monday, watched our service here and uh, watched Pastor Brett and uh, those that led worship and heard you all. And um, it sounded like it was a good time for for Soma and with Pastor Brett being here. And so, again, just so thankful. Someone was asking me before the service if uh, I've done a lot of these, like, pulpit swaps. And actually... Um, thinking about it, I know we did one maybe 10 years ago with Refuge, where I preached for them on a Sunday, and, and at the time, Pastor Char preached for Soma. So not too many actual swapping on the same weekend kind of a thing, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm thankful for him, and, uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be back. So in case you didn't know, they have four services. So I preached Saturday night, and then three on Sunday. And so um, I kept teasing that Brett probably went and played some golf, early Sunday morning before he came out here, although I don't think he did, but that was kind of the joke uh, that we were talking about. Um, but it's good, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. A um, little couple of housekeeping things. Two weeks ago, I spoke about uh, This is Amazing Grace, and we were in Titus at the end of chapter 2, and I spoke about uh, Diet Coke and how in the 90s there, there was an ad campaign where they referenced... Um, a calorie. And I said in in the sermon two weeks ago that it was an amazing calorie. And my my dear wife helped me realize actually they talked about an awesome calorie. So correction in case some of the rest of you noticed that too. Um, They spoke of an awesome calorie and really uh, calories don't need to be described as awesome, but God's grace does and, and amazing grace is awesome. So that's just one correction. And, uh, and that brings me to this morning. Uh, my aim this morning uh, is to wrap up the book of Titus. And now uh, we, we didn't do the first part of chapter two. Uh, we skipped that and we'll return to that. It's my plan, Lord willing. Uh, but, but today we're going to do chapter three and wrap things up. And this whole series is on uh, building a healthier church. And the book of Titus, although written from the Apostle Paul to Titus, he was a church planter on this little island called Crete and he was there to put things in order and to really kind of establish these churches and and it was written because there were these false teachers and that's that's the primary reason but in dealing with false teachers it really helps just establish not only for the churches on Crete but now some 2000 years what a healthy church looks like and so as we look at chapter 3 we are going to note responsibilities of a healthy church so if you're taking notes whether Uh, literally with a pen or uh, just sort of mentally, that's what we're going to do. We're going to see three things, three responsibilities of a healthy church. And then I've got sort of a fourth thing that I'm going to add on to as well, not from Titus, but just to kind of share some things happening here at SOMA. Okay, so that's where we're going this morning. So let me tell you those responsibilities, and then we'll work back through. We're going to see, first off, that we are to remember our obligations, We're going to learn and see that we are to remember our obligations. Then number two, a healthy church responsibility is to recall the gospel's transformation. To recall the gospel's transformation. And then third, we must refrain from foolish controversies. Refrain from foolish controversies. So we must remember our obligation, recall the gospel's transformation, and refrain from foolish controversies. So with that, If you have a Bible, please open to Titus 3, beginning of verse 1, and I'm going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 15, as we get started this morning. Titus chapter 3, beginning of verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you, Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray once more. So Father, speak now, I pray, through your word to us. Thank you for what you gave the Apostle Paul to give to Titus for these churches on this island. And thank you that there's truth for us from you through it today as well. So give us ears to hear, please, hearts ready to receive your word. Speak, O Lord, and build your church by your truth. Make us a healthy church that responds to these responsibilities, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, number one, the first thing we are going to note today is that we are to remember our obligations. That's the first responsibility from our text for a healthy church, to remember our obligations. Now, let's just say it right up front again. We forget, we forget, we forget. None of the ethical obligations or duties that we have in the Scriptures do we do to earn God's grace or mercy or love or forgiveness or anything. Okay, We have to fight that over and over again. And every other religion on the uh, face of the planet is seeking to do something to gain some deity's approval. But biblical Christianity says that it's done. Because of the Lord Jesus, His perfect life and His work, He transforms us. And then in response, we do have what we see here, an ethical list of responsibilities or obligations. And again, these are all responses Responses to the gospel, to that amazing and awesome gospel, and its stuff and truth that God calls us to. Now we noticed back a few weeks ago when we started Titus that one of the problems some people have is to sort of, um, kind of try to separate belief and behavior, or or faith and practice, or gospel and good works. And there's no need to separate those things out. Again, we don't do those things to earn, but because of what God has done. It flows out of our, our lives. And it appears that that's part of the problem with these false teachers. They, they waxed eloquently about what they taught, but their life didn't match anything. But for the believer in Jesus, there's no separation, at least biblically, there ought not to be, between belief and behavior, faith, practice, gospel, and good works. In fact, we we're told three different times just in chapter 3 today about being devoted in, to pursuing good works. But again, all in response to that gospel, okay? So with that reminder, read and da- look down with me again. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then jump to 13 and 14. So verses 1 and 2, remind them. He's saying, Titus, the Apostle Paul, remind them, the church, remind the believers, the sons and daughters of the family, remind them. This isn't for the outsiders, the unbelievers, but for the church. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Verse thirteen. Do your best to send to speed, excuse me, Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So again, the Apostle Paul here is providing, again, a list of sorts of what it looks like for them to be concerned with, these obligations. And Paul's not being exhaustive, but here's a list of things. And most scholars point out that probably this list here in chapter 3 is directed toward those outside the church. In fact, chapter 2, the beginning verses, which we will return to, uh, Lord willing, uh, those are about obligations within the church, what, what it looks like to be inside the church family and what responsibilities are. This appears to be about responsible Christian life, gospel living, we could call it, to those outside of the church. The effect that the gospel has and how it shapes how we live. So notice, he says firstly that uh, you're to be submissive to rulers and authorities and, and to be obedient. One writer summarizes like this. The outsider or the unbeliever should receive an impression when looking at the church, of good, law-abiding citizenship. So let that sit in for a second. Remind them, the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And it's interesting, rulers and authorities, that combination is used elsewhere by Paul to speak of the demonic realm, the the fallen angels. Those are called, in Ephesians and Colossians and other, other places, uh, words Paul uses to speak of of that realm of, of authorities and rulers well he 's not telling us to be obedient to demons at all, okay and again, context helps us know he 's probably speaking again of those in governing authorities because of the next phrase to be obedient okay and to be ready for every good work and again this this commentator says the outsider should receive an impression of good law abiding citizenship. Now we might sit back and go, well, the Apostle Paul wasn't living in our day in the time of COVID and all this mass overreach of the government, as some of us maybe are prone to think. But we should remember that Paul was living and writing during the times of Caesar's, of occupational armies, of the Colosseums and the Lions. And it's in that Context, he says, be submissive, be obedient to rulers and authorities. He would talk this way in Romans chapter 13. There is a place for the Christian to follow the law of the land. Now, this is not the final word, right? The Bible has a lot to say as well about obeying the Lord over others. And when others command and dictate that we do things the Lord uh, says we should do and we're told not to do it, then we have to figure out what does it look like to to, to disobey the civil authorities. And that's an ongoing debate. And there are Christian groups that, that are known for, for civil disobedience and there are others that are known for their passivity. And of course, on and on, those those debates happen. And, and there's a place for coming to the Scriptures and saying, at what point do we do what this text says here in Romans 13 and elsewhere? Do we obey? And when is it time... To To not, and those things need to be prayerfully, biblically discussed and undertaken, and there remains a realm of the conscience for for those things, but generally speaking, are God's people known as law-abiding citizens? in this context, Paul says, Be ready for every good work, and then verse eight says, devote to good works, verse 13 and 14, which I read. Be devoted to good works. Again, three different times, with just slight modification, there's this thing put forward. Church, we need to be about good works. A healthy church meets this obligation from the Lord to do and and pursue good works. But again, salvation causes good works, it is not caused by good works. We don't get saved by our good works, but it's a fruit of our salvation. Let's continue in verse 2 there. Paul says, Speak evil of no one. To speak evil means to slander, to defame. And again, if this is true, that the context here is especially those outside the church, is it true that we. Do not slander or defame or speak evil or ill of those unbelievers around us. He says, avoid quarreling. It means literally to be without battle. A person that is inclined to fight. um, Paul says, no, avoid that." that. That is not to be the posture of a Christian. In other words, it's the opposite of being contentious. Now, again, there's a time and a place to Engage false teachers. There's a time and a place to stand for truth valiantly. But some people maybe are more inclined to speak evil, to to quarrel. And then he starts to give the positive. He goes on and says, be gentle. And this is such an amazing word, a very rich word in the original language. Lexicons tell us that that it means to to be yielding or or gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. Uh, There's a gracious forbearance. To the idea here of being gentle. I love that. Gracious forbearance, kind of the positive of the other things. And then show perfect courtesy toward all people, not just the rulers and authorities, not just those in charge of the government, but to all people. To, to be one that shows perfect courtesy, use the needs and interests of others above their own. So just let's pause for a second as you look at verse 1 and 2 these these obligations that we are reminded of do they mark you generally speaking right we're all in process god's not finished with any of us praise the lord right we're being sanctified but generally if a, if you're a follower of jesus this morning do these things characterize you and when you come to lists like this i hope you'll not be crushed hopefully you'll be self-aware and and aware of areas where Maybe the Lord needs to and wants to do some some work, but don't be crushed by it. The Lord is not done with you. Those whom he has saved, he is sanctifying and he is working these things out. And these ethical lists are not meant for us to say, all right, when I go home today, I'm gonna to pull my straps up on my boots and I'm gonna try really hard to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Please don't approach it that way. I don't believe the Lord would want you to. I do believe he'd want you to say, Lord, you've been gracious and you've changed me and you've called me to this kind of good work, these obligations. So please produce this in me. And as Paul says in Philippians 2, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because he's already at work in us. So he's doing this. So we learn to cooperate with him. And and it is good to evaluate, maybe Lord, this one in particular, I'm having a struggle with, or maybe this one. But don't let, let this crush you. Go to the Lord, and, and His grace abounds for us. So is the evidence of the gospel in your life in these ways, in, in this list of obligations? God is reminding us through this list, and again, it's not exhaustive, but these are good ones, that one of our responsibilities in a healthy church is to remember our obligations. Okay? So that's number one, remember our obligations. Number two, though, verses 3 to 8 We are to recall the gospel's transformation. Did you notice, by the way, remember, recall, like three R's trying to help us hang on to these things. Synonym finders are wonderful tools. I love thesaurus. All right. Number two, we recall the gospel's transformation. Verses three to eight. This is the second responsibility of a healthy church. To recall. To recall the gospel's transformation. I'm going to reread three through eight in its entirety. And, and this is so good. I mean, these verses, This this is it. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, and profitable for people. Boy, if we could have in one place a summary of the gospel's transformation, it's right there, and in putting it right there, the Apostle Paul is telling Titus to tell them, and God is now telling us, recall that. Recall the gospel's transformation. And he begins with the testimonies. I was thinking again about two weeks ago in the pool when we heard Mary Blakely, and we heard Luther, and we heard Cora share their own testimony. We heard them talk about when they were foolish and disobedient and led astray. Well, not quite. They're young enough. Hopefully, they haven't done too much of that. I saw a chuckle by one of those three. Thank you. But as we talked about, that's that's the place of all of us. And it's interesting, this list here, Paul's writing to Titus, who's who's communicating to these Cretans that are always liars, filthy gluttons. I still just continue to enjoy talking about the Cretans, myself. So he's being, speaking with some hyperbole, some. But it's true. It's maybe while the three that were baptized have had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home, maybe some of you didn't. And maybe some of you came to know the Lord Jesus later in life. And maybe you hear this and you think of your own story. You can remember when you were foolish, when you were disobedient, when you were led astray and you were a slave to various passions and pleasures. Maybe you passed your day in malice and envy. Maybe you were hated by others and maybe you were hating others yourself. The point is recall not only the fact that the gospel appeared, but, but it's good to remember what's true of every person. I spoke about this last week at Spring Hills out of Colossians. We, we are all we come into this world spiritually alienated from god or another way to say that is spiritually dead or another way to say that is biblically sinners as cute as we are made in the image of god and valuable as image bearers we we are alienated from god and in need of what paul says here in verse 4 we are in need of the goodness and loving kindness of god to appear in a dead At a point in time, remember that the gospel is not good advice, the gospel is good news that's what the word means. And good news, by definition, has happened. It happened when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared at a time in space some 2,000 years ago. He appeared, and from that point on, He's been saving, and, and it appeared in our lives. Some of you know, you have it in your calendar, maybe in your head or literally in your calendar, the day when the goodness and mercy and loving kindness of God appeared in your life, when he saved you and brought you from death to life, from darkness to light. But he says in verse five, God saved us. I used to try to ask my kids that all the time. Who's, how did you become a Christian? Well, I, well, I prayed, well, you, you did in response, but who saved you? And, and, and it's God. He saved us. Not because of works done in righteousness. That is, not because of works done where where we are trying to achieve through obeying God to to earn a righteousness, because that's not how we are saved. This is what the Apostle Paul speaks of, especially in the book of Romans. No, we are saved by the mercy of God. It's rooted in God's mercy, not our doing or our effort. In His mercy. He saved us. And he goes on to say, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration, that is language of John chapter 3. That is language of being born again, rebirth, regeneration. It's the same idea. The Holy Spirit had to do that, had to cause us to be born again. And not only did the Holy Spirit cause us to be born again, to experience rebirth, but now he is Renewing us. As Paul says in Romans 12, 2, we're to be renewed by the transforming of our mind. And so we are being renewed. We are being sanctified. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And notice as well the Trinitarian focus in here. If you look at verses 5 and 6, we get the threefold activity of God. In verse 5, Speaking of God the Father, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit, whom He poured out on us, that is, God poured out the Spirit on us, and probably this is language of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was, in a big way, poured out on the day of Pentecost. But God the Father poured out the Spirit on us, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God the Father at work in our salvation, the Holy Spirit at work in our salvation, of course, the Lord Jesus at work in our salvation. And all that, verse 7, so that, all this was done, so that we being justified, that that forensic declaration that we are right with God, that, that imputation of His righteousness, those big theological words that speak of, The one, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the one who knew no sin, Jesus, was made to know sin, our sin, so that we might be justified and be the righteousness of God. That imputing of an alien or foreign righteousness. Kids, did you know that? The Bible talks about aliens. Not flying around aliens, but an outside alien. That's what alien means. It's foreign, outside. God, God took this righteousness that we don't have and he imputed it to us. Amazing, great exchange. Now, parents, if your kids go home and ask about aliens, I'm sorry. Paul goes on to say there. He speaks of he speaks of hope. Whom he poured out, verse six, on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse seven, so that being justified by His grace, again, it's. His mercy, it's His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, we've talked about hope recently as well in this series. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Most people, when they talk about being hopeful in life, they're talking about wishful thinking. But biblical hope is not that. It's a confident expectation of what God has promised to do. And he has promised that he's coming back and he's going to finish what he started and our salvation will be complete. And there's this this inheritance that is ours. The hope that we have, the hope of eternal life. And then Paul uses a phrase that he also uses with Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. This gospel message, this gospel work that we are to recall is, is trustworthy. So how about you? A healthy church recalls the gospel's transformation. Do you make a practice of recalling this hope in your life? It's so important. Too many Christians base their their justification, whether they in fact are right with God, on how they're doing in their their living and their sanctification. Okay, And that's the wrong order again. We need to base our... Sanctification, how we 're doing it, the good works in our justification in what is done, so recall this if you 're struggling if you 're struggling to love God and love others, if you 're struggling maybe with some of those items in this list, if there 's a just an apathy maybe in your heart god 's not upset at that god 's not done with you for that. go to him in prayer, seek him, but I would urge you, recall the gospel's transformation, recall what is true. Remember who you were prior to the appearing of God in your life from when he saved you. And recall what he's done. Recall those early days maybe as a Christian when you were zealous for him and passionate for him. And don't base your whether or not you're saved on how you're doing right now. Always base how, based how you're doing on the reality of, of the gospel's transformation in your life. Recall the gospel's transformation. But finally, number three, not only does a healthy church remember its obligations, not only does a healthy church recall the gospel's transformation, but a healthy church refrains, there's your final R, from foolish controversies. And I want to just be brief in this today. Verses 9 to 11, Paul says, avoid or refrain from foolish controversies. He's probably here thinking about those false teachers that want to suck you into things. Refrain, avoid those foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I just pause there. There, there again, this, this isn't the only place that speaks of these kinds of things, because there is a place for debate and discussion, and, and what was meant here, and how do we understand things? We We have to be able to engage in, in proper debate, but if it's a foolish controversy, if it's really an unprofitable and worthless thing, there there's a difference. And sometimes to differentiate when it's a profitable intramural debate on, on secondary matters versus a foolish controversy, okay, and again, it's likely here he's dealing with those false teachers. Paul says there, there's a time and a place to refrain from it. And then verse 10, a person who stirs up division, and that's a key too. Does someone just want to continually be divisive and stir up things? A person who stirs up division, and and then Paul says clearly, after warning him once and then twice, be done, have nothing more to do with him. Probably here, the idea is a church discipline kind of context, where the elders, and again, following Jesus' instruction in Matthew 18, go to someone and and try to convince them that this is wrong, and, and... Again, there's lots of other texts that balance this out. But there comes a time and a place where it's time to be done. This person is divisive. They're, they're seeking to break the, the, the koinonia, the fellowship of the church. And after being warned once or twice, there's a place to, to, ha- to say no more. Have nothing more to do with him. Knowing, verse 11, this person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. Again, Words that sound harsh to us, but likely, again, the context isn't just someone who wants to debate the dates of, of the end times and when the Lord's coming back, or someone who wants to debate how long did God take to create the earth, was it literal six 24-hour days or longer? Again, we can have intramural, secondary-level debates about all sorts of things, and that's different than a divisive person who's, who's really a tool of the enemy seeking to wreak havoc in the church and those kind of people falls to the elders uh especially to to warn once or twice and there comes a time to say no more no more you are warped and sinful self-condemned and uh those sound like hard things but it's for protecting the church so one more time how about you do you find yourself knowing when to refrain from foolish things and and maybe of the three uh things here these 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 things we're thinking about in terms of uh, a healthy church, this one we don't have too much experience in. I I pray we don't at Soma. But how are you doing at at knowing when you need to refrain from something that's overly foolish? The Apostle Paul says this is one of the responsibilities of a healthy church. Well, I know I've spoken quickly here in this final chapter, and I I wanted to just say, if you are looking for a study, if you want to dive deeper into something this summer. Boy, chapter three of, of Titus, go back and work your way through these things. And, and our own Jan Wells, who's written inductive studies, she's written one on Titus. You could talk to her about getting one of those possibly and, and just slowing down and working through this, this final this final word that the apostle gives to, to Titus. Well, I said at the outset that my aim today was to go through this final chapter and, and hit this and then I had one other thing I wanted to do, and, and really just for a few moments, I kind of want to speak um, less from, from the Scriptures and more just to you about my forthcoming sabbatical. So I announced several months ago that this summer I would be getting to have a sabbatical, and uh, some of you have been asking me recently, in fact, someone thought maybe it started last week with Pastor Brett being here, and it hasn't. Uh, I'm, I'm here one more Sunday uh, with you, two more weeks. Total, but uh, on June 27, that'll be my first Sunday on my sabbatical. And so, let me just tell you some of the details. And in fact, if you have some questions, I'd love to answer them. Maybe not uh, right here today in, in the the big gathering on on the camera or on the mic, but I'd love to answer questions. But hopefully, some things I can just sort of talk to you about briefly. So, yes, beginning June 27, and and for ten weeks. So basically, all of July and August. Uh, you won't see me uh, here on Sundays. Uh, you might see me out and about. I don't plan to hide from anyone, uh, but, but I won't be uh, joining SOMA for our, our gathering. And so let me just talk about that a little bit. I've never had a sabbatical. Um, we do have it written into our church bylaws and constitution that uh, the paid uh, vocational elder, pastor elder, which happens to be me, is supposed to have one every seven years well we didn 't do it six years ago i don 't think I remembered six years ago, and then I did remember a few years ago. but what began to happen a few years ago were all these crazy things we 've all been experiencing, be them wildfires and um, hiring a worship director and then a pandemic and then a worship director leaving anyway so it 's just kind of not been the time but but this summer seems now to be an occasion where it is time uh, to have this and the focus is, is not, I want you to hear me, is not uh, I've, I've got like problems in my life or my marriage or I'm burning out and I got to go away for 10 weeks, okay? Th- there's not anything going on like that. Uh, the focus is uh, one of renewal and rest. And that's really the idea behind having a sabbatical opportunity built into uh, the structure of, of the church so that I don't. Get to a place where I uh, have you know burnout coming or looming, or you know marriage unraveling or or things like that. I mean, you know my marriage is perfect because Kristen and I are perfect. Thank you for laughing of course it's it 's not perfect there 's not a perfect marriage, but it 's good it 's healthy and, and so on. This also is not about me looking to go somewhere else i I, I have no desire to pastor anywhere else i am not using this time to update my resume, or do any of that. Uh, this is about me getting some renewal and some rest uh, for for these 10 weeks so that I can return in September, September 5th, and um, continue, Lord willing, to shepherd uh, you under the Lord Jesus, the, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, uh, as an under-shepherd, along with our, our non-vocational elders as well. So again, I'm, I'm not on the verge of some, some gross thing in my life and I'm not on the verge of leaving. Uh, n- no intentions like that at all. Again, it's, it's about rest and renewal. But on that note, uh, I also long, and I've been praying for this, that it's a time of rest and renewal for the whole church. Uh, as I read about sabbatical and talk to other pastors who have been on sabbatical, they've said that ideally, ideally, the whole church experiences a time of renewal uh, during the sabbatical. But that's kind of weird to think about how How does that happen to you? And one of the things, we're still working on the the nitty-gritties of this, but even even today, standing under the pop-up and the sound system and all the work the five musicians put in and the early crew that got here about 745, that's a lot of work for a lot of volunteers who have been gracious to do it. But it struck me just this past week that maybe, maybe one of the ways that the church as a whole gets some rest and renewal over the 10 weeks I'm gone, is not to have to do all this. And that since we're outside under this redwood tree grove, kind of like, you know, church at the beach-ish, you know, campfire format-ish kind of thing, maybe that becomes part of the renewal is we really simplify our gathering. And, and we'll have a speaker for the people that are going to preach and whoever's going to be doing the music. I mean, guitars that we use uh, are amplified naturally, okay, with the big hole in the wood, and even our piano has speakers built into it. And so maybe we we refrain from uh, the tech and even thinking about the way the grove is situated. Maybe one of the things is to get everyone a little bit closer. Hopefully we are all more and more comfortable as this year has gone by with the pandemic, for the most part, behind in terms of people's comfort outside and vaccine and all of that, and maybe we can pull in to this center area, and again, the different people that are scheduled to come and preach will preach and still do that. And I was thinking about Acts chapter 2. Think about the early church. They were not devoted to live streams and podcasts and hooking up fancy sound systems and wireless microphones and whatever else. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So the Word of God... They were devoted to the fellowship, the, the connection, the family life of the church, to the breaking of bread, and, and those that are preaching on the first Sundays of July and August will uh, administer the Lord's Supper, but also meals together still, and we have some of those planned. The, the breaking of bread, the, the being together, and the prayers. And I think all that can be done without all of the fancy equipment. So that's kind of what I find might be, in fact, a big part of the renewal for, for all of you, is to, to not have to hassle with who's signed up to do this and that. Plus, it's summer. Plus, after last summer, when all of us couldn't do anything and couldn't travel, hopefully more of you are going to get some vacations and some trips. So with people ebbing and flowing in and out, it just seems like maybe that's, that's what we, we get to do as a church on the 10 Sundays, is have a simplified a simplified outdoor gathering. So all that's going to get worked out of, over the next couple of weeks. One other thing uh, people have asked, what what will Paul be doing? And will the family be here on, on those Sundays? And so you you won't see me on, on the Sundays. I've got a couple of different trips planned. Again, my focus um, is renewal and rest. And then really a help being a healthy church, I plan to read and to really pour into what, what does it mean for, for me to be a healthy under shepherd, and what will it mean for us to be a healthy church um, going forward? So, so I will, I will have some time alone with just the Lord, for Him to reveal my sin and and do His sanctifying renewal work in me. So, some time alone on kind of the front end and the tail end of it. Um, I will get some extended time with the family. We'll have vacation and things, um, but I will be kind of just pursuing that renewal and rest. Uh, between the Lord and uh, and you'll see the family on Sundays that we aren't away on vacation and uh, that's that's kind of big picture of what what it's going to look like. So some time away alone with the Lord and then time with family and just pursuing the things God's laid on my heart to pursue. I'm not writing a book. I'm anything like that. Just just see what the Lord reveals and then after ten Sundays September five I'll be back and there's great people planned. Uh, on the schedule to preach. Neil Brower, our superintendent, who's no stranger to SOMA, uh, he's going to preach the first two Sundays. He just had a sabbatical as our superintendent, so he's rested and renewed, and he's uh, back, and he'll be sharing July 27 or June 27 and July 4. And then we've got a mix of our own Roger Farrell, Dwayne McFeeters, who will preach a few different times, and then a few other guest speakers, and we'll, we'll publish that. We'll have the the schedule so you can know who's coming. And I hope you'll welcome those speakers and uh, engage with them. Some you'll know, some will be new. Uh, they're friends of mine. And uh, I am I will look forward to catching up and hearing how, how it was. And, and I'm praying that it's a time of renewal for all of us. So I hope that answers a lot of questions. And again, if you have more, let's talk. I, there's no secrets. There's nothing that that can't be shared. But that's that's what's gonna go on. So you'll see me one more Sunday. And we'll be wrapping things up over the next couple of weeks before the sabbatical begins. All right, would you join me in a word of prayer but but stand, please Next Sunday, I will kick off our our summer series, so all the different speakers they're going to have a sort of a banner umbrella series that they'll be speaking underneath or within. And sometimes it'll be a little more connected, but I wanted to give them all some sense of, of guidance. And so I'll kick that off next week, Uh kind of my farewell word to you before the sabbatical. And I'm looking forward to that. If you want to read ahead, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one to four for next week. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I prayed earlier, would you make us a healthy church? And as we even though quickly looked at Chitus 3 and these responsibilities, um, may we pursue what your word says, whether it's here or elsewhere, in being a church that's healthy, that loves you and loves one another, that obeys the great commandment to share Jesus and make disciples, and that, that is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And as I've addressed the sabbatical, I do pray even now again that it would be a restful renewal time for all of us this summer. I'm so grateful for the opportunity I will have, and I I just look forward, Lord, to what you're going to do in me and, and when I get to return in a few months. So to that now, we commit ourselves. We thank you for who you are, what you've done. And now, Father, do immeasurably more than we could ask or think in us and through us for your glory in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you as you go this week. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his face and countenance on you and give you peace. You're dismissed.